Ladies and gentlemen, it's 1992. The Cold War is over, but things are heating up in the DC Cinematic Universe 90s edition. It's the year of Bill Clinton. It's the year of H. Ross Perot. But the main thing we're here to talk about is Batman Returns, the sequel to 1989's Batman that's just a little bit more different to what I remember. <laughs> this is Raven Bat, our Raven on Batman themed subsection, where we're going back and reassessing all of the Batman films uh, as they have progressed through the years. And with me as always to discuss and analyze these treasured cinematic moments is a man who just found the pussy he was looking for. <laughs> it's Stuart Lane. <laughs> hello, Natalie. Hello, everyone. Yes, let me show you my French flipper trick. <laughs> I need to say, before anybody thinks I've just massively cracked on to Stuart, um, <laughs> I mean, obviously, yes. I mean, they've, they've watched but- the movie, surely. I hope they've watched the movie, but wow. Otherwise, several uh, very sexual lines that we're going to quote directly are going to sound very out of sequence. This is this is the thing. I, I've put this in my minute challenge, but my, my takeaway from this film is, is this the horniest Batman this, this film? Is, this is borderline pornography. This is someone's pornography. I feel like there are people in porn who don't have any level of sexual arousal, as does all of the characters in this film. <laughs> there are people who, walk, who work in porn who are like, man, this movie's sick. This movie is over the top. I have lost any sense as a child of the number of Catwoman cat-related puns that would be hitting me in the face in this film. And it was a journey. <laughs> it was a journey. Of course, I should try to recap the plot a little bit. Good, good luck. Good in. luck, Natalie. Frankly, good luck. Look, basically, there's Batman. He's still kicking around, looking kind of bored as sure. he does. <laughs> There's the penguin who's some sort of weird, freaky... He's, he's a sewer freak. Let's come out right freak. out and say it. He is a sewer freak. It's it's very politically incorrect, but yes, he's a sewer freak who... Our apologies to the sewer freak community. That's right. We love you. We value you. We see you. Flushed uh, mutant alligators, <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles all. Yes. Much respect. Um, but the, uh, so he decides to come back to the surface and try and get legitimacy. And when that doesn't work, try for terrorism. There's also Christopher Walken kind of reprising his character from A View to a Kill <laughs> to some respect. <laughs> Evil business. I hadn't and- thought about that, but yeah, he kind of is, isn't he? <laughs> Yeah, he's even named Max. Like he was Max something in A View to a Kill. He was Zorn, wasn't he Max Zorn? And in here he's he's Max Shrek. Yes, so he's he's there just going, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) That's my Christopher Walken. Uh, Gross, come on. He's he's trying to manipulate people. And then we have Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman. Ah, Michelle Pfeiffer herself. Can I state that? I think the reason why, to me, and I think I messaged you this when I (laughs) podcast you, I I feel like I'm rambling initially first up, but I've got a lot of feelings, Stu. I've got a lot of feelings. Sure, work through those feelings. (laughs) Tim Burton certainly did. This movie is Tim Burton's therapy. I remember loving this movie. I think I did see this in the cinema. So Batman 1989, I didn't. Too young. This movie is right in my 
you know, prepubescent wheelhouse. I was 11, 12. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Actually, no, I was not born yet. But the... <laughs> <laughs> good good save. <laughs> Shut up, Steve. I'll cut that out in post. But I remember loving this and I remember loving Michelle Pfeiffer. Just everything about her was superb. And that memory is what I've held on to <laughs> when we have said, oh, we're going to go back and look at the, the you know, the 80s and 90s Batman, Batman, Batmans. Batsmen. Batsmen films. <laughs> uh, I thought, no, Batman Returns is clearly going to be the best one. Like clearly, because it was amazing. That was the one. <laughs> that was my... Batman film because Michelle Pfeiffer was so freaking amazing. Have she you watched is. have you watched it at all since then? I have not seen it this century. Right. <laughs> I, what a way to phrase that. Yeah, look, it's real, Stu, when you can, when sure you can look at things and go, yeah, no, I haven't seen that this century. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a pretty real feeling. I haven't seen that since the turn of the century. <laughs> there haven't been any showings of Batman Returns around these parts since 25 years. <laughs> yeah, so I, I was like, no, this is going to be the one. This is going to be my, Natalie's expertise. And all I could do was sit there going, I have no <laughs> knowledge. <laughs> there were key things I remember. I remember the um, mistletoe can be deadly. Sure. Kiss can be deadlier. It means nothing. It, it means it's meaningless. meaningless. I remember feeling like it was imbued with so much meaning at the time. I remember (laughs) everything about Michelle Pfeiffer, I basically remember, except all of the sex puns. I remember Danny DeVito's crazy duck. Yes, yes, his his duck boat, which makes multiple appearances. It's his it's his Batmobile. It's his Batmobile. It's the penguin mobile, the the duck mobile. And I mean to be perfectly honest, like like not the craziest thing in this movie. That that is very much on brand. It's on brand. It's still insane though. It is uh, nuts. It's completely insane. I remember a bit of Christopher Walken. I remember um, Batman at the end kind of taking his his mask off. and. Yeah, that, to... That's a big deal when you're a kid. I, that, that's burning yeah, in my memory. Him, it him, is. It's like Batman took his mask off. And yes. Yeah, it's... And I remember Christopher Walken's reaction of, Bruce, that's... why are you dressed like Batman? And Th- that, is, goes, that is a legitimately good line. I love Batman, that line. you idiot. Yeah, that was great. Bruce Wayne, why are you dressed like Batman? Why are you dressed like Batman? What's going on? And also, of course, he took his mask off, didn't have the eye makeup on. Yes, yes, quite famously, yeah. He doesn't. What happened there, to there's the a, eye makeup? What, what's bizarre, too, is there's a, there's a full face shot. They didn't try to hide it. Like, surely that you could have done some editing tricks, but, like, there's a, there's a shot dead on where he reaches up to pull it off, and he's very clearly, like, hasn't got the, the black eye makeup on. Yeah. Oh, I missed that, but I trust you. You, you checked out by that point. No, I was just kind of slightly stunned, I think. But I just, <laughs> I, I guess what I want to communicate first up, Stu, before we get into some of the background of this film, which you'll take us through. Oh, yes. It's just how much of a revelation it was. <laughs> more so than any, you know, there were Bond films. I suppose I'd seen the Bond films much more often and much more recently than this film. This this film just really hit me for six. I, I, yeah. I wasn't ready for how Batshit insane it is. I, I, yeah, absolutely. This is the thing. I, I think this movie has like a reputation entirely unearned that it's like the good one. Like, like Batman 89 because has some is. problems, but, but, like, you know, th- this one is like the, the one where, you know, Burton was really hitting his stride and then they took it all away from him and gave it to Joel Schumacher. And this was the dark, gritty Batman, you know, and it's like, this is high camp. Yes. You, you don't understand. Like, this is an episode of Batman 66, quite literally in some places. Like, all the yes. stuff with the penguin running for mayor is yes. literally taken from oh the Batman 66. Ep- like, there was an episode of the Batman 66 show where the penguin ran for mayor, and the only difference is Batman ran against him. Oh, my God. <laughs> 
Batman ran for Wait, mayor. Not Bruce Wayne. Batman in car- in costume. <laughs> yes. How was he going to fulfill his civic duties? Uh, everyone just agreed because he's Batman. Okay, it was so just who a won? Thing. Who, who won? I cannot like like it was like the penguin. He exposed the penguin. Like like the penguin had like a secret evil scheme that he exposed, and he, he oh, like withdrew from the race, and therefore Batman withdrew from the race. And and, and like the scriptwriters freely admit that they were inspired by the 66 show. So it's like, this is not the dark and gritty Batman that you remember. It's so telling, isn't it, of the stories we tell ourselves and how we can get these in, things that you know to be true are actually just complete balls. Because oh my goodness. I knew this film to be the good Batman because yeah. it's, it's Michelle Pfeiffer. It's Danny DeVito. Sure. It's Christopher Walken, as well as Michael Keaton. It's all these superstars being amazing in cool costumes and cool music. And it is. It's That's the truth. The truth is that it's amazing. I still am finding it hard to, like, actually admit this was bonkers. I mean, maybe that just shows that when you're in that age group, you know, when it's seared into your brain like that, it becomes, you know, I guess the only exception to that, Stu, of course, is Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, which I absolutely not long before this that obviously <laughs> – <laughs> stands the test of time as the true work of cinematic greatness. That, and he's obviously a perfect um, film, yes. It's a perfect film that mm. um, utilises the form 100% <laughs> correctly in all ways um, and it's been sadly overlooked by the wider film industry. Snobs. Um, but, the yeah, the point is I'm having to reassess a lot about what I thought to be true about the early 90s. Aren't we all? Maybe Blossom wasn't the best fashion. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't. Maybe giant like hats pastel, with flowers on yeah, I was going to say, yeah, giant hats and pastel, like, jumpsuits oh, and things. Oh, the giant hat trend of the early 90s, Stu, was great. I actually don't it even was a know if I age. owned I must have owned one. I must have owned one. But it was a time. Everything Blossom and her friend wore was <laughs> superb. Just superb. Very nice. Uh, do you watch Seth Meyers, just as a quick sidebar? Do I watch Seth Meyers? Not not, yeah. not uh, as often as I used to. I, I find that uh, post-Trump, he has largely uh, fallen off my watch list. No, I think you need to get back into it. Yeah. He, I'm actually really disappointed by the fact that they're going back to having an audience soon because that show has gone surreal and weird. Oh, and I, I did see. I did great. see the stuff with like the the sea captain and all that sort of thing. There was oh, all sorts yeah, of weird yeah, yeah. things there. The sea captain during the the whole lockdown period mm. was amazing. But even since he's been back in the studio, he and his writers have just been doing weird shit, and it's so fucking good. It's like it's a direct injection into Natalie's funny bone because obviously <laughs> all of his writers are all around our age, Stu, and they're making references. They're making references. Totally in my wheelhouse, and I am falling about laughing. And they made a reference to Blossom the other day, and uh, Seth made some some comment about six is a terrible name for a child, and I lost it because that's Blossom's <laughs> name. And I remember as a kid thinking, "Wow, six is really cool," but as an adult, going, "That's a stupid name for a child." And they made that reference, and I'm like, "You're living in my head." <laughs> And I highly recommend there was a sketch recently that they did that was like a guy narrating the sketch and it goes so weird and so surreal and just. Oh, fantastic. I have to dip back oh, in then. That sounds amazing. I will have to send it to you. It's just, they're still talking politics and they still talk about. They still do like Trump a closer look and all that They still do thing. a closer look and it's still really good and it doesn't have the same venom, but nobody can without Trump. Like all of these guys and girls, you know, I mean guys in a general sense, but all of these writers who kind of really poured out their great work against Trump. Vented their spleens. That's one thing, but it's very easy to go up against Trump. Like it's... Yes. 
it's not yes he's, it's, it's soul shattering but but very easy it, yeah he's he's a colossal fool but the you know the difficulty is like what do you leave out because he's doing so much mm-hmm. weird yes shit. yeah the, the, the great stuff now is how um COVID has really kind of pivoted seth meyer's show to this weird wonderful I don't know. It's just become my favourite. And they do a segment now that got nominated for an Emmy, which is called Corrections. So at the end of every week, they do a section that they just put online. It doesn't go out to air on the network. They just put it online where he addresses all of the mistakes that they've made across the week. So people tweet them and they email in, but they, you know, will highlight. So if they reference um, one, for example, recently, he said someone was knitting when actually they were crocheting. And, so he, <laughs> and it's that level of right. detail. So right. his fans, Fantastic. who are obviously his fans, who are obviously also all around our age, you know, millennials, older millennials, and Gen Xs, everyone like that is also going, "Ah, you got this slightly wrong. I'm going to write in." And then they they pointed out what what mistakes they've made, and then they just take the piss out of everyone. And it's got nominated for an Emmy. I don't think it'll win, but it should. It's so good. <laughs> Anyway, that aside, should you tell us, Stu, about how Batman Returns came to be? Yes. So this was obviously the follow-up to 1989's Batman, which was, as we discussed uh, last time, an enormous hit, the biggest film in the world ever. It was a very, very big deal at the time. And so Warner Brothers wanted to make another one, like pretty much straight away. Um, Tim Burton, though, didn't. He didn't want to have anything to do with it. So instead, he went off and made uh, Edward Scissorhands instead. That was his big project at that point. So in the meantime, they got the scriptwriter of Batman 89, uh, Sam Hamm, to come back and do a pass at a sequel, which apparently, and, and this is this is all most mostly Wikipedia research, but a couple of, um, I, I went down a bit of a rabbit hole looking at this one. Early versions of the script had the Penguin and Catwoman teaming up to find buried treasure, like some Ooh. weird bloody thing. There, there, was, there was all sorts of versions of, of this script but they always included Catwoman and the Penguin for some reason like it, they, they, they were kind of the big three because it was like the Joker Catwoman and Penguin they had the Joker in the first one so they kind of went well let's have the other two in this one they always had those two characters in there Tim Burton eventually said okay I'll come back they basically backed up a truck of money to his to his house and said can you please come back and direct the next one uh, he said yes he'd done Edward Scissorhands in the meantime and then he brought on a screenwriter called Daniel Waters who had written uh, Heathers um, ah. which you're probably you're probably familiar with um, Look, Stu, have I've, you seen Have you seen Heather's? No, I've no. seen the musical. <laughs> right, that better than nothing. <laughs> um, so, so you get the gist. Uh, I get the gist that it's all about bitchy high school chicks sure. murder. Sure, yeah, yeah. And and the, the big thing about Heather's at the time was that it was it was like a teen comedy, but it had a uniquely sort of even though it was written by a guy, a lot of the a lot of the it, it, it hit really strongly as like sort of a, a proto feminist sort of movie there was a lot of that sort of work in there so Burton really responded positively to that he wanted him on to do a pass so Daniel Waters came on and did a pass uh on there and then they made the movie and it was a pretty big hit I remember it being massive it, it was well and this is the thing so they really ramped up production like they 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 kept a lot of the sets from the first movie for Gotham City and that sort of thing and then they built several others you'll notice that um a lot of things happen in Gotham Plaza which was a massive set that they just built 
uh, in one of the studios. So they have this massive space. Yes. That then half the movie takes place in this one location because yeah. <laughs> yeah. they built it and they're like, well, we're going to use it. Yeah. Oh, look, they're um, back at Gotham Plaza. They're back ah, at Gotham Plaza. And it's another press conference at what's, Gotham Plaza. What's Penguin's target? Oh, it's Gotham Plaza. Gotham Plaza. It, it was a very good success, but it wasn't as big a success as the last one because the critical reception of this movie was mixed. It was very well received by fans. I think a lot of fans at the time were like, yeah, this is cool. It's like a dark, dark, edgy version of Batman, which seems completely ridiculous in hindsight. Yeah. But a lot of of critics were like, this movie makes no sense. It is a mess and there's too many characters. And also Batman's barely in it. Yes. You know, so there's... I mean, we'll get to this, I guess, at the end with your assessment, but you ended the Batman podcast by saying it's not a very good Batman movie. How does this compare <laughs> as a good Batman movie? Yeah, compared to compared to um, Batman Returns, Batman 89 is an excellent Batman movie. <laughs> um, I suppose this is more of a Penguin movie, isn't it? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, Having actually, I'll, I'll qualify that because, like, Michael Keaton's Batman in this acts more like I expect Batman to act, except for the fact that he is clearly unhinged he has gone off the deep end like whatever psychosis he was struggling with in the first movie he has succumbed fully to it to the point where like we see we see a shot of him early in the movie where they have that that fantastic it's an iconic shot of him sitting in the in just sitting in wayne manor like literally in the dark and then the bat signal comes through the window, through that elaborate system of yes. mirrors that he has set up. It shines through the window and he's, he stands up. It's like someone switched him on. Yeah. And he just sort he's... of stands up and he's like, ah, I'm needed. Yes. It's like, it, oh, I mean, God. I, you can see why they did it. It's so, Oh, it, it's stylistic. Scary. It's style yeah. over substance. Again, like, like oh. it is it's purely, it's it's so heightened and campy. I mean, it's a very yeah. campy sequence. Like, like it, he leans into it in this movie yeah. in a way that I think he was sort of restrained from doing in the first movie. He's off the leash. Tim Burton is off the leash in this one um this this is fully tim burton's movie and, and it, it shows like, do you reckon that he went you know what i'm just gonna make this weird so that they hopefully they won't ask me to do another one he fully expected to be asked back for the third movie because he he didn't want to make the second one and then he apparently he had a great time making this one because they they just left him alone and they're, they're like ah. yeah 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 you made us like all of the money last time so do that again and he was like right i'm gonna make my crazy weird <laughs> my crazy weird <laughs> film about demented freaks <laughs> um, and they're like, oh, please don't do that. Yeah, like, like I was saying, like the backlash to this was pretty noticeable. Like, like uh, there was a strong pushback to the point where McDonald's actively distanced itself from the movie, even though they had a tie-in toy line. Like, oh, wow. so, so obviously they they have the Happy Meal toys, which we, which we got here actually. I, I remember having like the little toy Batman uh, Batmobile and and all that sort of thing. Um, I don't know whether you had any of them. I feel like I must have had. There was a uh, a Batmobile. There was a different Batmobile with a with a tiny little Batman in it, and then there was a, a Catwoman car and a Penguin umbrella car. I don't have huge memories of that. Oh, I See, do. I, I I love that yeah. stuff. <laughs> See, the other thing about 1992 that I meant to reference in the introduction was. Yeah. 1992 was the year of Madonna's erotica album. Now right. that was a that was a seminal pun not intended moment for me. So so young Natalie was was uh, mainlining a lot of extremely sexually charged content. It's really explaining a lot, isn't it? Stuart? It's just really. <laughs> We're really, with these podcasts, we've really been able to peel back the layers of the onion. So, yeah, absolutely. uh, But this is the thing. I got that album, Erotica, Madonna, for my birthday that year. Now, I didn't get the sex book because I was obviously 12 and it sold out. (laughs) Um, So I assume that my parents tried to get it, but 
didn't. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Sure. But that moment, Madonna's sex book and erotica, it was huge. It was massive. I remember hearing about it on the news and I would have been, what, eight or something crazy? Yeah, or or not born, Stu. Or or not born, sure. Or not born. I was obviously an amoeba. But, yeah, it was a massive moment to the point where I remember being a kid and going into a newsagent because my mum was buying something and I heard this lady and I looked up and this was an older lady. Now, given I was, you know, 11 or 12 (laughs) at the time, then it, it could have been a woman in her 50s maybe. But to me she seemed like an older lady. Right. Going up to the newsagent and saying, yes, hello, do you have any copies of the Madonna book? And the newsagent sort of going, oh, sex, and the woman saying, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> and, Surely and, that led to some misunderstandings. And the woman saying, unfortunately, we're all sold out. That exchange is burned into my memory because I was like, wait, there's like older people who want to see Madonna nude. <laughs> wow. I don't have many memories that are burned into my brain, but that is one of them. Like, a, a, you know, just the Madonna book was everywhere and it was like, oh, my God, she's she's so raunchy and she's so rude and is this f- feminism or whatever it was. And to me it was just like, yeah, she's just like really into stuff. That's Madonna. She's really cool. <laughs> it was just a and natural so extension I, of her whole thing as far yeah, as you were concerned. Yeah, and so I, I would go to parties and dance around my living room and at parties singing erotic, erotic, put your hands all over my body. <laughs> and I had no idea what I was doing. Sure. I had no, and this is why I sort of, I mean, maybe kids today because they have the internet, they're a lot wiser. But certainly in my days, I was obviously, as you say, mainlining this stuff. It was all just going subconscious. There was no hmm. actual conscious thought about yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, there, there was no ability to process it. Like, like you had no chance of processing any of it on a conscious yeah. level. It was just, it was just digging itself deep into your, into your Cat subconscious. Woman, Catwoman's very, you know, S and M kind of deal. Totally over my head. <laughs> It was a simpler time when hardcore borderline pornography was just very mainstream. <laughs> sure. Yeah, and it was, a, it it was seems, a different time. Yeah, but it seems so tame now. It seems so tame. Well, but I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't. I mean, it like it is shockingly sexual for a film, like, like especially in the, in the MCU era, which is, if anything, like a bit too far the other way, where it is almost oh, asexual. it's so chaste. It it's has so no chaste. sexual content whatsoever. This is like borderline pornographic. Horny. It's horny. It's the only word for it. Yeah, it it's is extremely thirsty. horny. It's thirsty and it's horny. It's yeah. just straight up the penguin going, baby, look at my flippers. And as you said, like, I can't even remember half the stuff he says, but it's all sexual. <laughs> and you're like, you're a horny little man. <laughs> well, he's, he, he very specifically is just a rampaging little sexual id. I'm surprised they don't have him. Like they have that bit where Max Zorin gives him a fish and he's like eating a fish, like just like. Blah, blah, blah. I'm surprised. <laughs> I'm surprised they don't like have him humping, you know, a couch or something. And then they pull back a curtain to go, and here's your new man. He's just humping it down. <laughs> And obviously, like, honestly, there's some there's some very thinly veiled satire going on there. Is there? Well, just just in general about the political process and all that sort of thing. Oh, I see. Yeah. Well, yes. sure. But then that <laughs> you can't tell me that the penguin wasn't doing some weird shit in those sewers. Oh yeah, yeah, like, yeah. There should be some sort of inquest or <laughs> <laughs> like the fact that the penguins gave him a burial at the end. Yeah, they they like really liked him. Yeah. No, no. Oh, this film's a mess. Um, <laughs> So, yes, I'm sorry. Back to I, I just keep getting distracted by how I'm simultaneously horrified and delighted by my reaction to this film. No, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. 
but but I mean, basically, well, so many of the, these problems can be explained by the fact that this film has, I think, four credited screenwriters, each of which like work separately. So so they've come and like built ah the kindergarten built things school layer on layer on layer. Yeah, absolutely. And there was a final pass done by a screenwriter called uh, Wesley Strick, who wrote Arachnophobia and Cape Fear. I um, never saw Arachnophobia. It was massive. It was huge. Yeah, it, it was, was massive big, at the time. It was the big thing like, oh, no, it was like doing for spiders what Jaws did for sharks sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, so he, he did an uncredited rewrite, speci- and specifically his job was to take what had become a giant mess and try to sort of squeeze it into some sort of overarching thing. I don't think he succeeded, but he was doomed to fail uh, anyway, because it is all of, I mean, for a start, like the penguin, I think has three different like master plans throughout yes. the course of the film. Yes, Not all of which naturally follow on from each other. The film kind of wants you to think that he's like a sympathetic sort of pathetic character, but he's also like an evil supervillain who wants to like murder the firstborn children of Gotham. And then all the children. And then all the children. Boys Men, and girls. As women. They're all the same with their erogenous zones blown sky high. Yes, I know. What a weird line to say. It's just insane. Why are you, why are you talking about children? Gibberingly chil- insane. Why are you talking about the genitals of children? <laughs> <laughs> you freak. And so, yeah, so this movie is a giant mess. The, the big glaring hole, and, and one of the reasons that, so so famously Batman is not in this movie. <laughs> he's kind of, he's a guest star in his own movie. because I remember, this movie... I remember thinking at some point when, in my rewatch going, there are a lot fewer grappling hooks than I was expecting. Yeah, much fewer grappling hooks in this one. Where is Batman? <laughs> <laughs> oh, he'll show up and he'll just start murdering people. Yeah. As he as he does. So he was going to have a whole subplot with Robin. Robin was going to be in this movie. Oh, um God. so they, they wanted to bring Robin in and the literally the only reason they didn't, at least the only one that they'll they'll admit to, it was just getting too crowded. But they had literally cast Robin. They had cast Damon Waynes as Robin. No. Yes. Yes. So Damon Wayans was going to be was going to be Robin. A wisecracking. He was going to be like a like a wisecracking street, street kid, more more like a Jason Todd style Robin than than a Dick Grayson. Um, although I think he was going to be Dick Grayson, and he was going to like Batman was going to take him in and like train him up as like his sidekick. The action figure line that came out with this movie has a Robin figure. They sculpted to look like Damon Wayans. But when he was dropped, they just changed the paint scheme to make him white. Wow. So he was so he was going to be like, you know, African American Damon Wayans. And then they just they were like, okay, well, we've done the sculpt, but like it's just gonna be Robin now, so we'll just make it we'll just make him a white. So they still guy. released it, even though he wasn't in yeah, the film? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was made. This is like a a, a a train that starts rolling way before the movie is finished. Yeah. Like they have, they have to get these things like sculpted, like made, you know, packaged, shipped. So all of this stuff happens. It's this giant behemoth. This is why the pandemic was so disruptive to these massive movies. Because I mean, I don't know whether you remember, but like at the start of at the start of 2020, there was all this Wonder Woman tie-in stuff that was just on shelves. Oh yeah. But there was no Wonder Woman movie out because they had to delay it. But like they had all these like tie-in like you know Doritos and and branded Coke and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it had all been like ready to go and shipped and they can't just leave it on the shelves. It'll go off. So it's like, well, put it out. Yeah, this stuff happens like months, even years in advance. So they, they just had this action figure, a Robin action figure, and people were like, 
like, oh, why is there a Robin action figure for Batman Returns? They're like, don't worry about it. It's fine. But yeah, <laughs> da- Damon Wayans was going to be in it. He, he tested for it. They paid him a lot of money to buy him out of his contract. He made a lot of money just by not being in Batman Returns. Wow. It's crazy. It's crazy. Is that what he used to fund some of his Wayans Brothers movies? Maybe. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, (laughs) probably. And so basically Batman isn't in this movie. He's kind of, he he spends almost literally, we we see him very briefly at the start. And then I think it is literally 40 minutes before we see Batman again. Yeah, Um, he does does a bit of a beat up at the start. Yeah, and then he goes away and we spend a lot of time with Selina Kyle and with Oswald Cobblepot. Yeah, and gee, he knows how to make a scene, doesn't he? (laughs) Oh boy, oh boy. (laughs) He certainly learned how to be dramatic in those sewers. Lots of practicing his Sturm and Drang sermons <laughs> yeah. to his penguins. And organizing organizing uh, exactly where he can make his duck mobile rise up <laughs> out of the sewers at the manhole at the right moment. What the hell? Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, uh, should we go through our minute challenge? Yes, let's do that. Now, I think it's your turn. Okay. Look, I have a minute challenge, which I only got a few things out because I watched this movie a week ago and I knew I'd forget stuff. So I actually sure. made a separate list that I haven't referred back to. So I will refer back to that because I'm pretty sure I wrote some funny things. We'll see if time proves me right. Uh, But basically what I put down was, what the fuck did I just watch? (laughs) Is this the horniest Batman, nay, any movie to exist? I mean, I think this might be the horniest Batman movie. Yeah, movie. I don't know that the, the horniest individual horny. Batman is Adam. We, we've agreed is Adam West. That, well, yes, the horniest exactly. Batman. Yeah, Michael Keaton has this sort of distance thing. He, he's he's a guy who likes to fall in love with women in about three days. You know, he was he was basically ready to give up everything for Selena Kyle slash Catwoman, mm. and it, literally the whole action of this film takes place in about five days. Totally. Yeah, he, he was ready to quit being Batman. I don't know how they organized a mayoral campaign. <laughs> <laughs> at the end of that Meryl like literally this movie takes about a week to proceed because yeah. it's all in the lead up to Christmas and then it's Christmas or just after Christmas when it ends. Exactly, exactly right. <laughs> like there is, and I, they do make I hadn't it. even thought about that. I hadn't even thought of the truncated timeline, but you're right. Like they, they organize, campaign, and then <laughs> yeah. the campaign is derailed within the space of a week. Yeah, it's crazy. It's just bananas. And they even make a joke, like at, well, they sort of reference it Danny DeVito says to Christopher Walken like hang on this is December aren't elections in November (laughs) he's like don't worry about it there's reasons why you could be recalled don't don't worry about that yeah don't don't worry about that that's fine I'll take care of it so at least they kind of made an effort to put in yes this is all a bit weird just ignore it (laughs) (laughs) so Michelle Pfeiffer is banging hot she certainly is I don't know that the vinyl would be as flexible as it seems but I have a story sure about I mean, about me, obviously, not about Michelle Pfeiffer. Oh, right. I was going to I was gonna talk more about uh, the costume. Yeah, please talk about the costume right. first, then I can tell you my story. Okay. Well, I was, I was just going to say um, that costume apparently was incredibly uncomfortable, as you can probably imagine. Michelle Pfeiffer had to be sewn into it. Not surprised. Um, there was no there was no zippers or anything like that. Apparently, it um, it was meant to evoke, like, it's it's full Tim Burton. Like, like, Catwoman has never looked like this in the comics or on any previous, like, television show. You know, like, it's always been, like... You you know, a cat suit, sure, but yes, like yes, but black this weird leathery, like fetish gear. Yeah. Yeah, and with the stitches and everything, yeah, and and he he apparently wanted her to look like like a cat doll that had that had like burst its stuffing and had to be stitched back together. 
Okay. Which is very thematic. But yeah, she had to be she had to be stitched in and she would be she would be stitched out of it if she wanted to go to a toilet for a toilet break. They they do like one toilet break during the day, which is uh insane. Uh- <laughs> now listen, all I'm saying is that Michelle Pfeiffer would have been on a fair bit of cranberry juice. I was going uh, I, I thought you'd be mentioning cranberry juice here. Yeah, yes. Definitely because wow, that vinyl, that's not a natural fabric. Yes. Uh, Stu. Yeah. No, there, there's some chafing. To- Apparently she was covered head to toe in in talcum powder to even get into the thing. Oh, you'd have to be. And the thing is, there's no way you could be doing those sorts of flips and kicks and everything. So I don't know what they did for their stunt woman, but they must well, have so, I mean, a, presumably a stunt woman was, was doing that. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's a great – it's iconic. Like the look itself is iconic. And this is where your old pal Nat comes into it. Um, <laughs> because in 1997, Stu. Oh, in boy. Oh, boy. Uh, I was in – Strap in, listeners. Strap in listeners. Not like uh, that. I was in, well, if you want, I was in my school's musical. Right. Which that year was a production called Glamalot. Now, there's a big backstory, but basically it's a mashup show. Back in the 90s, there was this company in Brisbane that did a lot of mashup shows where they'd take I, sort of famous musicals and they were called Toad Show. Toad Show. Re- relatively low royalty musicals for, for high schools. Yes. They would sort of mash up things. So they did one of theirs was called Show Woodstock, which was, you know, hippies, but also Robin Hood. One mm-hmm. was called The Hounds of Music, which was um, The Hounds of the Baskervilles mixed with The Sound of Music. Our, our, our high school definitely did Show Woodstock at Ah, uh, we did Glamalot, nice. which was King Arthur and the Round Table mixed with 70s era glam rock. So the music was all, it's jukebox musicals, so they all sure. had all these cool 70s musics, music and they had, you know, King Arthur. So I was the Black Knight in the show. For various reasons, there was a casting thingy. Anyway, I ended up as a Black Knight, which was awesome because I'm freaking awesome and that was a role... <laughs> Just up my alley. It was right. like being the tough guy. Also, I could cartwheel. I still can cartwheel, but that was cool. We did a fight scene to start with, and I did like a cartwheel and kick some people. So that was Very great. Nice. Living my Xena life. Absolutely. So, <laughs> so because Xena was on screen at the time, the drama teacher, Pato was his name, he said that, oh, yeah, we're going to dress the Black Knight as Xena. We're going to get like the full Xena leathers and stuff like that. Right. And I was like, cool. Dream Sounds come true, cool. sign me up. Dream come true. And then they said, oh, what we're actually going to do now is dress you like Catwoman from, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman. And I was sure. like, cool, sounds great. Suit thing, great. <laughs> then they go, well, actually, we had to change suppliers and we couldn't get the cat suit that was like a proper cat suit. So we've got this lycra body suit. Oh, my goodness. Done up like Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman. So it was a lycra black suit with the white stitches, you know, drawn on, painted sure. on, whatever printed on. So they give this to me. And now, you know, like rust you, I know you get out on your bike. I know you're a like a fiend. It's, um, it's smaller than it stretches. So famously, yes. Famously. So they hand me this outfit that looks like it should fit a child, you Mm -hmm. know, maybe a 10 year old or something. And I'm like, I won't fit into that. And everyone's like, it's lycra, you will. And I was, this is going to, Stun you, Stu. I was very body conscious as a teenager. Right, um, okay. A, a little bit worried that I was, you know, a bit fat and uh, a little bit like, oh, no, I'm not thin enough to be pretty. Right. Yeah, it's it's good that I've totally gotten over those issues. Absolutely, yeah, I never would have guessed. Decades since. Mm. And here's me. <laughs> and I would have been all of probably 60, 
65 kilos maybe as a, as a 16, 17 year old. Right. 16, yeah. I was tall. I'm, you so, know, five foot. Totally normal. Totally slim. In fact, yeah. I would say yeah. you can see me in the program of that show and I look at it and I go, I want to punch myself in the face. Um, <laughs> no, not just me. I want to punch every freaking boy at school. Cause there were some who were like, yeah, you're too tall and too big. I like the skinny girls. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to murder you. <laughs> if you are parenting, I mean, any child, but particularly a boy child, just t- tell them not to slag off a girl child's weight because they are all skinny, mm. no matter what. Just yeah. stop. I'm getting on my soapbox now. Just don't do it because you end up with people like me who now have chronic eating issues and <laughs> fucked up food issues. And I say this as someone who's going back to the dietitian next week to try and get my eating under control. Sorry, I'm I'm really passionate about this too. I'm just... <laughs> They gave me this Lycra suit to wear. Yes. And I looked at it and said, I will not fit into this. And they said, yes, of course you will go try it on. So I went and tried it on. I then put a big T-shirt over the top of it because I was really embarrassed because, you know, it's Lycra and it's hugging all of my curves, which what I didn't realise at the time were the bangingest banging 16, 17-year-old curves. Obviously, Mm. you know, not technically legal, but like (laughs) like, they remained that way for a few more years. So, you know. The best shape of my life that I'm ever going to be. Yes, yeah. And here am I walking out with a T-shirt on going, oh, no, I'm a bit fat. I take the T-shirt off and everyone's like, holy fuck, that looks amazing. You look great. Even some of the boys. Now, none of them ever actually wanted to date me or try anything on, which was a shame. (laughs) But I put that down to the fact that I look so freaking kick-ass in this Catwoman outfit. And I had big boots They were intimidated. They were intimidated by you. They were intimidated by my fierce feline beauty. So I had my hair done in this really cool braid around the top of my head and, like, my hair all out and big 70s eye makeup. I looked fucking amazing. Mm. And I did cartwheels and I kicked some ass and I wore this thing for the whole show and I got used to wearing it. I got used to striding around the place in my catsuit outfit. Then the night of the awards came. So they always did awards at the end of the show. And generally all the major actors got an award for something. And they were all like specifically awards. So, (laughs) you know, best scream was this guy who did this famous, you know, they were all very specific awards. Right. Now, first of all, I need to point out that I did win the overall best female performer award. Thank you very much. Yes. Over you know, the female lead of the of the musical, because presumably you were playing the bad guy. No, well, I was playing the bad guy, but it wasn't, you know, it's a jukebox musical, so there wasn't like one character who had all the songs. It's just all the characters had songs. Oh, so okay. we did a pretty, so I never had one, because I wasn't a, known as a singer-singer. I did sing on Ballroom Blitz, which was our main bad guy song, you know. Yeah. Um, there's a man in the back and everyone yeah. attacking a turn to do a ballroom blitz. And I sang the, um, Son. Like, anyway, I did a great job. I was freaking great. <laughs> I was freaking great. Then they gave me the award, the personal award. The award they gave me was called Freddie's Favorite Flavor. Freddie, oh, I won't boy. say his last name, was like the school, the academic dean who apparently came and saw the show and the next day in the staff room was talking to the other teachers about, gee, Natalie's wearing that, you know, crazy oh, Catwoman no. suit. And it was, wow, that was really, you know, it had the stitches here and here. And they were telling me how he was describing the stitches on the this cat suit that I was wearing. And at the time I was like, no. oh, oh, that's a bit weird. And now you look back and go, that is entirely inappropriate. That is, that is the worst. <laughs> Holy shit. Like nothing ever, like he didn't say this to me or anything like that no but they did like like so so he's he's like 
being all lecherous in the staff room about you and they're like, you know what would be funny? If we made this an award that we presented to the student that he's yeah, talking about. That you caught the eye of the academic dean. Yikes. Now, I'm not saying that that dean, remember, you've got to remember, this is the high school where that year that we did that, we'd only just said goodbye to, you know, Queensland's probably preeminent pedophile <laughs> attacker of just boys. To, just to keep things light. You know, just to keep things light. This was that school. Like, yeah, so, and yeah. I'm not suggesting, I'm not suggesting that by comparison, the academic dean is like some sort of, you know, Mother Teresa figure, although no, wait, that's probably maybe too accurate because wasn't she a bit shit? Anyway, the <laughs> point is there was no behaviour, actual actions that were weird. No, it although that is like, important context. <laughs> yeah, it is context, but it's like they shouldn't have done that. They shouldn't, like, it was No, absolutely not. In any universe should they have ever done that. That is insane. And, and the weird thing is, too, is you're like, what did it do, as we peel back the layers, what did it do to me? <laughs> what did it do to me? <laughs> Knowing that all these teenage boys, none of them would take a crack. And yet the old, he would have been in his 50s, this academic dean. He's mm. looking going, oh, yeah, that's 16, 17-year-old girls looking very good in that skin-tight catsuit. I mean, they put me in the catsuit. It was what I was wearing. And I was, I looked great. I was, that was just, just sure. before my 17th birthday. Don't let him take that away from you, Natalie. I'm sure no, you look I'm, fantastic. I, I needed to take my power as an emerging young woman. But Absolutely. I'm just saying, Stu, that's my story about the Michelle Pfeiffer sure. catsuit. I wish now that I could wear that catsuit the way that I wore it as a 17-year-old. I wish in my heart of hearts that I could mm. be 65 kilos again, cartwheeling on a stage, kicking bad guys' asses, singing ballroom yeah. blitz. That's the past I wish to live in. No, that's not true. Because, <laughs> you know, pedophiles. But the point is, uh, it's, part of me now wishes oh, that maybe man. they did give me the Xena outfit. I don't know. Yeah, Xena well, well. It might have been, you know, it was a little bit more, um, there was a little little less to the imagination than a Lycra cat. So I don't know. That's my story. Sure. That's, that's the end of the podcast. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for coming. If you are a therapist, uh, call, call in. in. Um, what did you think about? So I just was really happy that I got the best overall female performer award. Sure, uh, yeah, that, that's the takeaway from this. Absolutely, that's the one. Yeah. That's the one I'm going to hang on to as opposed. But I think somewhere I still have that award that because they, they made them out of blocks of you know <laughs> blocks of wood and painted on them. See, the thing is, I was going to have I was going to tell my own story about being in a school play. Please and, do. Well, no, it sounds very trite now. <laughs> I didn't foresee the sudden daytime movie turn <laughs> that your story was going to take. I, I would have no, no, absolutely. Happen. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Well, well, look, look, hang on. Something untoward did happen, but it was a yes. very low level, I guess my, you would say. My, yeah, there's degrees of things. My, yes. my, my personal, you know, integrity and safety was not compromised in any way. No, absolutely. Uh, and I retain very fond memories of being able to wear a catsuit and kick ass. Sure. But yeah, it is in hindsight, like, wait, that was probably inappropriate. Yes, that was highly inappropriate from everyone, <laughs> from every adult involved. <laughs> Jesus. No, my, my story was just like we played. There was a, a similar, not, not a jukebox musical, but it was one of those ones where like a local company writes a quickie musical. Yeah. Uh, they just toss it off with original songs and it's pretty cheap to produce. Don't um, say it toss called, it off, Stu. Sorry. Yes. I, I should choose my words more carefully. <laughs> Oh boy! Anyway, so no, but oh god, this this story is going to go nowhere now. Like, so, so basically, I was going to sympathise with you because in year eleven, I I played it was a, it was a musical called Jungle Fantasy, which again sounded really bad, real bad. <laughs> 
real bad. I'm just I'm suddenly realizing as I say it out loud. Oh Jesus! And I play I play a Tarzan like character who had like a like a loincloth on. Um, oh, it, it was shoot. it was going to be like a it was going to be like just like the underpants basically. Um, and then they gave some concession to my modesty and and put like over one shoulder, sort of George of the Jungle style. But I was in the best shape of my life at that time. I was like 16, 17 years old. I was I was doing lots and lots of like sports training and stuff like that. But I th- I thought I was like overweight at that point. I was not at all. I was like no. incredibly fit and the probably arguably the best shape I've ever been in. Yeah. Um, and I was I was quite self conscious about being in that costume on stage. So I was just going to sympathize with you like that. No. I didn't get a weird um. <laughs> Prize <laughs> talking about how the how teachers were secretly look. lusting after me in the staff room. Um, oh, they were, Stu. Hey, hey, look, maybe. <laughs> they, they had the decency not to tell me, though. I don't know. It's it's such a weird thing when you think about it. It's like that, that time when kids are 16, 17, you know, they're young adult, essentially, you know, biologically speaking, and in previous generations, that's when you start marrying them off yeah, and making totally. them have kids and stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. So they're, they're in a time when biologically they're seen as, you know, sexually mature or whatever. Mm. And yet we know, and our society now is like, no, no, they are still children. So it's, Give them a couple a, more years just to get their shit together. Yeah, but, but kids themselves at that age are all like, oh, my God, like puberty. <laughs> ah, yeah. like it's, <laughs> it's a weird thing that... The change up between, you know, the brain versus the body is, it's all messed up at that time. It's so messed up. So, so, so speaking of inappropriately sexually charged things, Batman Returns. <laughs> all right. Well, I've only got a few more things on my on my list before we can get into yours. I said, I need to know, Stu, yes. the penguins with rockets on their heads. Oh, yes. Or yes, rockets yes, yes. on their backs. And little controlled helmets on. Mm-hmm. Were they real penguins or are they puppets? Or some of them are real penguins, and uh, some of them are animatronic. Um, all of the penguins that like do the funeral walk into the thing at the end, for example, apparently are little people in costumes. That's what I thought. With yeah, those like, like, lots of them. Lo- lots of them are costumes. Um, some of them are animatronic, and some of them are real. Mostly in the background, they would have like there were real penguins on set, and there was like a penguin wrangler, and there, there was a whole separate issue with keeping the penguins happy because they had to be in a special climate-controlled enclosure when they weren't being used on set. Yeah, and stuff like that. Because my thing is like the, the, there's this whole scene that goes on for far too long when all the penguins <laughs> are like converging on the plaza at yes. the end, and it's like the freaking all quiet on the Western Front or something, not that, but some war movie where you see all these, it's just repeated shots of penguins all getting into alignment. And I'm like, that's mm. a lot of penguins. Yeah. And nowadays I just think it's like Lord of the Rings where they just had one segment of soldiers and then they just copied and pasted it and copied and pasted it and copied and pasted it. Yeah. You know, but that's like, this is pre-big CGI. No, totally. They, they, were, all, they were all there. <laughs> so how on earth were they able to get several hundred penguins to line up and walk in formation? I mean, I don't know. I, th- I think a lot of it is like, uh, excellent placement, uh, animatronics, all that sort of stuff. Like there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of foreground work being done, and, and then yeah. real penguins sort of milling in the background to make up the numbers. That whole plotline, by the way, was put in because the ex- uh, studio execs were basically like, the penguin doesn't really have a plan. Like he doesn't have an end game. Like he wants to find his parents. That fizzles out sort of halfway through the movie. Then he wants to run for mayor, and that kind of just finishes and ends. So then, like, what is his big thing? And they're like, rocket penguins, absolutely. <laughs> And look, it's a, it's a good instinct. It's a yeah. good instinct. If, you, if if all else fails, rocket penguins. Rocket penguins. You know, because uh, like um, our sewers are famously full of penguins. 
Yeah. Oh, don't <laughs> don't get me started on the fact that he lives in the zoo or his main lair is in the zoo <laughs> in a place called Arctic World. Yes. Just look, look. Just I, think I will... about that, listeners. Just think about why it's not quite right that the Gotham... penguins are living in Arctic World. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> Having said that, Gotham City being home to multiple abandoned like fun fairs, zoos, various other things that could be quite easily retrofitted into supervillain lairs, totally on board with that. Love well, it. that's yeah, that's fine. Yes. But it, like at least just call it Antarctic World, guys. <laughs> sure, exactly. It's pretty simple. Yeah. My final point before I, you know, you do yours and I go on to some other notes that I made. Why does Danny DeVito appear to have a cloaca? <laughs> was that a deliberate design choice <laughs> was that a deliberate design choice you know what i'm talking about his outfit he's wearing I, a onesie yes i know exactly movie. what you're talking about he's wearing like a weird fat suit too it's this yeah. bizarre like get up I- I don't know why, but I didn't realize that Danny DeVito was as short as he is. He's four foot ten. Yeah, he is. He is um, a very short man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and um, he's got. It's it's due to a condition, like a like a syndrome or a, yeah. an actual thing that that makes you not grow tall. Yes. But yeah, they put him in this weird apple bellied. So his legs look really skinny, like toothpicks, <laughs> and then he's got this round belly. But the onesie that they have on him well, has. Uh- well, the thing is that, that that onesie is supposed to be like his baby clothes that has just sort of stretched with him, right? So he never took it off. Like, like he, he's meant to still be that little Yeah, and boy. that obeys the rules of physics. Totally. Um, yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, so the, but the point is it's got this like baggy kind of, you know, skin foldy type area. <laughs> I mean, because it's a onesie, I figured that was just like a flap. Like that was, you know. Yeah, but it it, it weirdly, the <laughs> fact that he's growing up with penguins, you know, birds have one hole. There is something that, upsettingly biological about the whole <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, it just looks flappy in a way that you're like, he just pulls that flap aside and craps in the street, doesn't he? That's, <laughs> you know, that's, he if he's learning how to behave off penguins, then, I mean, sure. But I have a lot of other questions about the penguin. Like <laughs> he's dropped, first of all, his parents who drop him off in that opening scene, you never see them talk. So were they just extras? I love the idea. Well, that one, just one of them is um, Paul Rubens. Um, his dad is Paul Rubens, who is obviously uh, oh, uh, Pee-wee, Pee-wee, Pee-wee oh, Herman, weird. Um, who, who had I obviously just, like, you know, a good friend of Tim Burton. Yes. I just thought that because they didn't speak at all, that they just probably picked two people out of the extras casting and went, all right, we're putting you in fancy costumes. You now have to be um, evil parents who. Well, actually, they wanted to get Burgess Meredith to play his father uh, um, because obviously Burgess Meredith played the penguin in the Batman 66 show and, and the movie that we've seen. Yeah. He couldn't do it. I think as he was filming something else, he, it wasn't that he didn't want to do it, but he just, he just couldn't make it work. Uh, um, so Tim Burton called up his friend and Paul Rubens now. Look disgusted and uh, then throw your baby in a, yeah. into a zoo. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> put, put, put your baby on a river like Moses, like, like, well, what's what's the the weirdest thing in this is that he basically gets Superman's origin in many ways, like, <laughs> in, like, 
Because, like, obviously, like, Superman famously is based on the Moses story. And, yeah, the Penguin kind of gets the Moses story in this one. He gets thrown into the river, taken in by people, raised <laughs> in the sewers. You know, that, that was old Was he classic. taken in by people? I thought he was raised by penguins. I thought that was Well, he was raised by penguins. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and then he, later, well, although it's confusing because it's, he was yeah, taken in, in by penguins, but then he joined the circus at some stage. Yeah, he was the bird boy. According and then to he took boy. over the circus. Um, and then set it on fire. And, and set it on fire. And then all the circus freaks decided to come down and live in the sewers with him somehow yeah he's like not big on details yeah it's very uh don't think too much about this yeah absolutely although it does give us the chance to see michael keaton looking at microfiche and i appreciate that (laughs) just scanning through old microfiche until he obviously finds the exact in his his turtleneck and perfectly round glasses (laughs) look look, i'm not gonna lie the turtleneck is still working for him in this film yeah it carries a lot of michael good look it's It's such a good look Oh, anyway, go to your list and then I have other things and we can talk further. Right. Okay. So we've covered a lot of ground, but um, I, my first item was uh, Batman Returns after 40 minutes. Uh, so that was the first thing. <laughs> Penguins, sympathetic character or sex freak? Uh, Catwoman, sympathetic character or sex freak? Um, because again, like there is uh, some several sexually charged scenes, including God, one absolutely jaw-dropping scene when they first, when, when the Penguin and Catwoman first sort of meet up. Yeah, when she turns up in his house. She turns up in his like and that's, weird that's, lair. That's where he says, oh, you're just the pussy I've been just looking Just that for. pussy I've been looking for. That was my introduction, just to clarify for people yeah. that I, yes. know, was a line from the film. And then she tries to eat his bird, you know, like a cat. Yes. Which sort of goes to like the weird thing, like the, obviously in the in the comics, and we, we've seen like a version of Catwoman before, which is much closer to the comics, where she's just like a cat burglar with a gimmick, you yes. know, like, like that's the whole thing. She, she's just a stylish cat burglar, a lady thief. And in this one, she's a reincarnated like cat spirit. Like what even is going on with this stuff? Cats- like she's, she's murdered. She comes back to life. Like the cats like bite her until she comes back to life. And like knowing cats, I think they were just trying to eat her. Yeah. It definitely had the vibe this time around of looking at it. Because the first time I saw it as a kid, I was like, oh, they're trying to save her. But then they literally have shots of the cats like chewing at her fingers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and I was pointing out to my jerks, I was like, you do not follow this as an example. <laughs> Please, if I do fall down dead and there is some weird cat thing where you can bring me back to life and give me like superpowers, then please do that. But do I, that instead. Yeah, absolutely. I want to wear the cat suit again. I'm not going to lie. But I need, can it, you also make sure that I lose like, I don't know, 30 kilos in between so I can get back into the cat suit? Can we do that? They can probably figure that out. <sighs> Ongoing eating issues <laughs> but yes so uh catwoman is very strange uh the next item on my list is uh christopher walken uh is in this movie as well yeah i know i it's like i didn't even mention anything about so many about like, like so there's three main villains in this in this movie like they yeah. go from one to three straight away it's an octopusy it sure is it sure is I'm surprised they didn't make that joke at some stage. The next item on my list is, this is a Christmas movie, which came out in July, <laughs> which is insane. Of all the insane things, that that one, for some reason, really breaks my brain. Like Because like Tim Burton, for whatever reason, is obsessed with Christmas. Obviously, like he produced The Nightmare Before Christmas. Like it's a very, it's a oh, very, yeah. it's, a, it's a recurring sort of thing, a theme, especially like winter as well, all that stuff. This was a big blockbuster summer movie. This was like the middle of the year in, in, the, in the United States. This was their big, this was the big summer movie for Warner Brothers. 
Um, and it was set at Christmas. It just seems bizarre. It's just so strange to think about. Next thing I wrote was uh, DJ DJ Dark Knight, which was mm-hmm. just a just a bananas thing that happened in this movie that I just wanted to call out, where Batman does a remix uh, of the Penguin on the fly using a CD. Do you oh, remember yeah. this at all? Oh yeah, he holds up a CD at one point. He's he, like, he records. Have- he records the penguin like uh, oh when the penguins driving about these, it, gotham's like sewer yeah. and i'm the, you know. driven them into the ground i've driven the they're on a crazy oh yeah yeah so he's he's taken over the batmobile and he's driving batman to make batman look guilty of something yes. yeah, yeah yeah so he's in his like campaign van which is shaking because the penguins have got his little controller going ah ha ha these people are idiots they won't know what i'm doing and somehow he's batman's recorded it and then is able to play it back with an entirely different intonation not only that he literally does a record scratch at one point like he goes ricky 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 and it's <laughs> and it's a cd natalie i really can't stress that enough it's a cd <laughs> but they were so 92 was the first year that like my family got a cd player yeah sure oh, oh absolutely it was like cutting edge tech as far yeah. as like the movie was concerned because, like batman you, batman uses cd rom because do you know what the cd that we got our first cd oh boy what was that, it that we got michael jackson dangerous nice Good choice. Not a, not a bad choice. It could it's have been like so one. fresh, twenty four or something. I think. Look, I'm sure I had that. I know I had. <laughs> sure. hit, I know I had hits. Hits for you, ninety two on. Cassette. There we go. Yeah. That, that was a couple of years earlier. I used to listen to that on my um my Walkman. But it had Rush by Big Audio Dynamite on it, guys. Come on, like that's a classic. That's a very nice. One. Yeah. So we had. I remember seeing it. It was like on special in the newspaper, like back when you would see things advertised in newspapers, and you would like go, "Ooh!" And my mum like circled it. Because we were like, get that one, mum. And she went off somewhere and bought us. It was on special. Michael Jackson, Dangerous. I feel like we got another one, but it was probably lamer. It was probably like, <laughs> I don't know. I do remember there being this CD for the longest time of Michael Crawford's like songs of Andrew Lloyd Webber, something like that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That <laughs> yeah, makes sense. I remember sense. that being around. But Michael Jackson, Dangerous was the first one. That was, you know, Michael White. <laughs> That was huge. That was another huge. That was cause, enormous. Because remember that had mutating. Yeah, it had the morphs. Uh, it, had, morphs. it had the, the morph uh, and technology. Like each morph costs, you know, like $100,000 or something. I remember Yeah, that so, something that you could do uh, like on TikTok on an yourself app now. right now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was, I remember being like, oh my God, it's got all this morph technology and every shot costs $100,000 and oh, wow, it's so high tech. <laughs> do, you, do you remember too, there was like a, they had like the premiere on TV of the film clip and the lead up to it was like a half an hour documentary of the making of the film clip. Yeah, I have people vague don't, memories of that. People don't realize how big Michael Jackson was. He was so huge. Take Beyonce well, times it by yeah, like whatever. Because <laughs> I think maybe it was the year after, maybe it was 93, but that was about the time when the first allegations against him came out and he did that Oprah Winfrey interview. Sure, yeah. And that was like a big thing. It was like, oh, my God, Michael Jackson couldn't possibly be true. <laughs> a, a powerful deeply Allegedly. weird man yeah yeah no way yep look anyway <laughs> i was about to say i wonder if he made them put on lycra cat suits but i shouldn't i shouldn't say that it's maybe, inappropriate maybe just... it's wrong yeah i just i have a dark sense of humor people it's not me it's just it's who it's just who i am wait it's not me it's just me <laughs> i'm not being mean i'm not being i just have a weird brain that goes very dark very quickly <laughs> so yes CDs, hardcore technology of the hardcore technology early 90s. of the time. What I also love about that sequence is the idea that a politician could be publicly shamed and um, then immediately like lose favor with their supporters. <laughs> um, 
Ah, oh, simpler time. And that is that is easily the most fantastical element of this movie. Yeah. Like, I mean, the thing is, Donald Trump was a thing in 1992. Like, there is very much there's was. definitely like Trumpian overtones to a lot of this, like in both the Penguin and in Max Shrek. Well, yes, I guess you're Baron, sort of billionaire guy. Yeah. Real estate Baron, something. He wants to. Max Shrek's plan is a power. This is the thing. He has a game plan. It makes too, totally no sense. No he sense. Wants, he wants a power grid. He wants he has to build a-, a bigger power grid to create more power because he says Gotham is underpowered, but then Bruce Wayne and his commissioned report say, no, 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 Gotham has a power surplus. You just want to take the power from the existing power. It's a, what do you call it, defibrillator? It's a no. capacitor. Capacitor. So, like so the, the, like the, the idea. To, it's like the Back to the Future thing, isn't it? That it's not what capacitors do, but the idea is that he's going to store the power in a giant battery and presumably to sell it <laughs> off. It is deeply unclear what his actual plan is and the movie doesn't care because we never hear about it again. We never do. We never do. It's a reason for him to kill Selena Kyle in the beginning and to come into conflict with Bruce Wayne, but that's it. It's just, it's there literally as a plot device. And then it like, as soon as the movie doesn't need it anymore, bye, no more. He dies ironically by electricity. Like that's the reason that that happens. But like- it's been like 40 minutes before since we've last heard about this power plant. So, And it's never mentioned what happens. Like at least in the first Batman movie, Bruce Wayne like blows up a plant or something that's part of the bad guy's plan. Yes. Like yeah, yeah, exactly. He sets fire to it or something. Yes, yeah, kill, kills many people. Also, I have a quick sidebar before I forget. So, you know, Max Shrek, he's doing all of this. Like his one good point is that he's a bit of a Cersei Lannister. He's just obsessed with the legacy for his kid. Sure. Right. His, his large adult son. His large adult son. And he's like, I'm doing all who, of this for Chip. Who, by the way, just to quickly point out, I don't know whether you caught this, that actor is doing a Christopher Walken impression. Have you gone back and listened to it? No. I strongly encourage you and all the listeners, if you haven't picked this up, to listen to all the scenes. Is it Chet or? Chip. It's chip. literally it's chip, like chip, chip off, chip chip off, the, off old the old block. The actor who's playing Chip is doing a Christopher Walken impression, right? At, w- at one point, it, when when uh, the Penguin first arrives and he's like, Daddy, get out of the way. You know, oh, like yeah. he's, he's doing a Christopher Walken impression. He's gone back and watched The Deer Hunter and gone, I'm going to really impress. But I mean, really like, think about the stones on that guy. He's doing a Christopher Walken impression <laughs> in front of Christopher Walken I in a movie. You, Christopher Walken probably had no idea. <laughs> sure. He's like, why is that guy I, speaking so weirdly? Yeah. What are you doing? I just wanted to point out, this is a very specific reference, Stu, but I know you will get it. Yes. I think that some of our listeners will get it, but if not, just Google it. So that guy who plays Chip, right. I, I was looking at him going, he reminds me of someone. He reminds me of someone. Who does he look like? Who does he? Who is he? Is he someone famous? Couldn't think. No, he's not someone famous. He just reminds me of someone. And then I realized who it was. Mm. Do you remember On the Late Show, which is a famous ABC comedy from the early 90s starring the D-Generation? Do you remember when Tony Martin put on prosthetics to play Arnold Schwarzenegger? Yes. Yes. That's what Chip looks like. You you are absolutely right. Yes, absolutely. He is a real life dude who looks like Tony Martin with Arnold Schwarzenegger (laughs) prosthetics on. And that was happening the same year. So I'm I'm going to somehow, using the magic of Photoshop or something, I'm going to try and get the both pictures and put them side by side because I swear to God, when it hit me, I was falling about laughing going, I know Stu will get this. Yeah, absolutely. That is amazing. <laughs> I don't know how many other people will get this, but it's so true. <laughs> that guy, by the way, um, Andrew Brinyarski, 
was a former bodybuilder. So like he was a, a Schwarzenegger type. So that makes a lot of sense. He actually played uh, Leatherface in the remakes of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. All right, back to your list. I think we're we're on our way. I think, I think we're nearly done. The only the only thing I had uh, at the very end was uh, Rocket Penguins, which was great. Uh, oh. Love love the Rocket Penguins, even if they make no sense. <laughs> Many of you won't return. Okay, well, I had other things. Though. I'm going to go back to my list now. Okay. Other things. Uh, still, so still just... lots to talk about. <laughs> so much to talk about. I said, yeah. At one point, again, you know, look, I'm going to sound like I'm beating a dead horse here. You know how we had the 108 pounds last week? Uh, yes. Yeah, yes. and I was had a moment so michelle pfeiffer at one point has this weird thing we're going oh they said that the hacks in the press said that catwoman was 140 pounds in what universe oh like she's really upset at being described as 100 pounds (laughs) i looked up 140 pounds Jude, because you know that i did because i admitted last week this is what i do 140 pounds is about 63 kilos so that's probably the weight that i was when I was playing Catwoman sure. and Michelle Pfeiffer is having a go and going, oh, God, that's so fat. And I wanted to beat my head into the wall again. It's such an early 90s version of, like, feminism because obviously, like, she's meant to be this subversive feminist sort of character. Yeah. That's her whole deal. It's baked into her origin story. Yeah, um, they literally make her a crazy cat lady. Quite literally, yes. But they turn her into a crazy cat lady. This is the yeah, thing. Like, even like, so crazier she, cat lady. She goes from, yeah, she, she's a crazy cat lady into a crazier cat lady. But her the idea of her becoming, uh, you know, stepping into her power is to don fetish gear and complain about being, like, said that she's overweight in the press. Yeah. You know, it's just... Uh, and, it and I want to point out, not overweight... No, not, not in any way. Not in, not in any universe. Is she <laughs> overweight? Michelle Pfeiffer, is, as I told you, all these actresses are like 54, 55 kilos. Yeah. Michelle Pfeiffer, bang on like 54 or something like that. Yeah, so yeah. she's right in that 120 odd pounds that all these actresses are, complaining <laughs> that she's been thought of as being 10 kilos heavier. Like, give me a break. Anyway, there's a moment when he talks about. Vicky Vale, he, he actually, yes. you know, yeah. you know how last week we were talking about how Alfred just lets her into the Batcave? Yes. And we said this was a thing and they never mentioned it. They mention it in this movie. Yeah. Do you know why they mention it? Was it brought up? Did someone need to fix it? So, yeah. So it was, a, it was a big point of contention following the first movie. So that there was a lot of sort of talk in fan community about like, why would Alfred let Vicky Vale just into the, into the Batcave? That makes no sense. So the thing is, the original film, uh, so ba- Batman was credited to Sam Hamm, who was a, a writer. He wrote the film and then another writer came over the top and did like some, did rewrites because he had to drop out because of the 1988 Writers Guild of America strike. So there was a writer's strike oh, after he turned in his drafts. Um, so he would have done all the rewrites, but then the rewrites were done by someone else. And one of the rewrites was the thing where Vicky Vale g- gets led into the Batcave. So mm-hmm. when Sam Hamm wrote the sequel, he included a scene where Batman's like, and good one, Alfred, like you just let Vicky Vale into the Batcave. <laughs> so it was like a like a stab at the other writer. It's just a stab at the previous movie by, by the writer <laughs> who got like rewritten. It's incredible. <laughs> And they left it in, like through all the different rewrites, they left it in. That's it's crazy. Great. Okay. I, oh, all right. Well, I'll, I'll pay that one. That's, yeah. that's good fun. There's an excellent line that the Penguin had that I don't think I would have got at the time, where <laughs> when he when he rejects this human culture that he's been, because he's been saying, I'm not the Penguin, I'm Oswald Cobblepot, and then he is revealed as being gross. 
yeah. I can't remember what it was. And then he goes on a big rant and he's yeah. like, I am not, I am a, not human a man. Being. I am, I am an, an animal. animal, which of course is an elephant man joke. Yes, and I absolutely. got it this time and went, I will pay that. That's an excellent joke. Like, not bad. I it's like bad. that joke. I'm, that's my level of jokes. Uh, <laughs> I like him sophisticated, but I also just like a fun um, reverse. Yeah, um, exactly. There's a couple of lines in this movie that are actually quite good. So much of it is ridiculous. Like, yeah. just absolutely not. Like, I, I really like the line. I don't know whether you laughed at this, but, like, just at, at the very end where the penguin's, like, nearly defeated by Batman and he goes to grab an umbrella and he picks it up and he goes, ah, oh, shit, I picked a cute one. I laughed. That was funny. That's a good line. I don't know what it means. Well, because, like, he, he's got, like, murderous umbrellas. He's got, like, umbrellas oh, that, like, right. shoot, shoot bullets or fire yes. or, or, like, have, like, stiletto knives in them. So and he, he just he, picked a regular he, umbrella. He, he, picked, he picked one that had, like, fluffy bunnies on it or something. Like, he's like, <laughs> ah, shit, I, I picked a cute one. And then he goes and dies. It was right. great. It is funny that he dies in the water, but then obviously they wanted to have him have this solemn guard of penguins. So they had to have him like come back and do a final like rah sort of thing. Yeah. It really I guess. wasn't needed. Like they'd killed him, then they killed Max Shrek and Batman's dealing with, you know, Catwoman ostensibly killing herself while killing Shrek. And mm. uh then Penguin goes, Bleh! and then there's this very <laughs> solemn, yet in hindsight, utterly ridiculous sight of penguins slowly walking out. Yes. <laughs> guiding his body into the water. What's going on, which you could, um, you could you could read as a guard of honor, or like, a, oh, finally, this guy's goddamn dead. Quick, get rid of him. You know, like that sort of thing as well. Yeah, Catwoman's sewing skills, or I should say, um, Selena Kyle. She loves talking to herself. Uh, she certainly does. They're very much a tell, don't show. <laughs> in this movie when it comes to, hey, you, you need to really know that this woman is pathetic. Yeah. You know, she's got a job and she works and supports herself, but, you know, that's really pathetic, isn't it? It's, like, really pathetic. And she likes, you know, cute things and that's so pathetic, isn't it? It'll be funny when something called Instagram gets invented and everyone <laughs> likes cute things again. Well, I mean, ironically, uh, she has an extremely Instagrammable um living room with a giant neon sign saying hello there yes. which is literally there so that she can later smash two of the letters to make it say hell here which is kind of cool like is it natalie is it cool yeah, i, I kind of liked that i'm sorry because <laughs> <laughs> it was hot pink and she's sort of preening by the window with hell here sure. behind it and i was like i really like that shot Sitting there guzzling her milk. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, she's literally just running around her house going, oh, no, my mum's calling and she's asking me why I'm not coming home and why I'm not just marrying some guy and, oh, I'm so pathetic that I have a job and, oh, no, and I have my own apartment and I earn my own money. Oh, how pathetic am I? Yeah, no, so- I mean, it's. And, and in an apartment that I think, like, in people who live in, like, you know, Gotham's equivalent today would be would kill for that apartment. Yes, yes. It's a perfectly serviceable, yeah. nice apartment. But, oh, no, she's so pathetic because she's all alone. Because she talks about she, – she walks in going, honey, I'm home. Oh, that's right. I'm not married. And I just wanted <laughs> – I just wanted to punch something. I just uh, – it's like – I mean, in, in the movie's very, very weak defense <laughs> – 
I do think that like they were going for a level of satire there. Like there was definitely like some commentary. Yeah, and meant she to does read into that. She does repeat the line as Catwoman, where she's like, yeah, "Honey, exactly. I'm home," and she comes back in, sort of repeating it. Like I get it, but at the same time, it's like, hmm, how do we really make sure the audience understand that this woman is so pathetic uh, mm. <laughs> that when she becomes Catwoman, she'll need to reject everything cute and go straight for the vinyl coat in her <laughs> wardrobe, which honestly doesn't seem like enough material to make that cat suit. It is not enough material. So thank you for raising that. It is not enough material. And also how does she get the the claws to be retractable? Like I don't know what she's using there. Some sort of sewing kit thing. But anyway. But, yeah, I said it's sort of the perfect mix of feminism that they've tried, like 90s feminism, which is like single woman with a job. Working nine to five, but also she can have it all. But she can't. But so she, can't. she has to become a super freak. <laughs> um, sex pest. I wrote down here something about cats don't like the cold. Because I think there's this thing about this <laughs> it's Christmas time and it's all snowy and the cats are just wandering outdoors. It's like cats don't like the cold. Yes. The cat would have just been happy to stay inside, I think. Particularly if she, all she's feeding it is milk. I don't know why all yeah. she feeds the cat is milk because also milk is bad for cats because they're lactose intolerant. Like that cat would have been pooping all over her place. <laughs> um, a responsible cat owner would know this. I will say, though, when she's like lying in the snow and just like about 20 cats are just like covering her, I was kind of jealous, let's be fair. Um, <laughs> that would be a fun a fun scene to film. I mean, unless you're like allergic to cats, I suppose. Sure. But for me, that would be really fun. Well, we, we could talk briefly just about casting because uh, are you aware that it wasn't always going to be Michelle Pfeiffer who was going to play Catwoman in Smooth? I, I seem to recall that she was a recruit. Maybe someone got pregnant or something, but I can't remember yeah. who it was. So it was Annette Benning was going to be Catwoman. Oh. She was cast. She was ready. She'd learned her lines. She was ready to show up. And then she got pregnant. And they were like, and because this was 1991 or whatever, they were like, well, obviously you will be standing down and we'll get someone who isn't pregnant. And so Michelle Pfeiffer got in. That's- there is a famous story. I- I'm fairly certain it's not apocryphal, but Sean Young apparently was, so convinced that she should play Catwoman in this movie that she made her own Catwoman suit and basically stalked Tim Burton on the Warner Brothers lot, like went into his trailer and was like, I'm your Catwoman. Why haven't you cast me? Basically because she she was going to be Vicky Vale and for various reasons she had to pull out. And so she thought that she should have been given like first right of refusal on the female role in this one. I've yeah. read things about Sean Young, which I'm sure are probably, you know, sexist because- Given Hollywood, yeah, I mean, in hindsight, women. there's a lot of but, like cra- that, that crazy woman. Yeah, but she did seem to be slightly unhinged at yeah. times. <laughs> so that that sort of tracks with what I've read about Sean Young. Whatever happened to Sean Young? Because she was in Ace Ventura, and then. Yes, in, in, in what has now become an extremely problematic role. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Oh, God, was that her last role? I'm just looking at. No, no, no. She's been in other things. Oh, it's, it's, it's very. It's a lot of, um, a lot of straight to video stuff by the look of it. Well, that's, you know, that's the Hollywood machine for you. Uh, yes. Yeah. So she. So Annette Benning would have been because I love Annette Benning. She's a wonderful actor, and she, <laughs> from my experience, she's not really done anything like a superhero movie. So this would have been very much a an opportunity lost because she's so she's a very charismatic actor. It would have been interesting to see her take. Whereas Michelle Pfeiffer is kind of like a sex bomb, so she sort of brought a. Um, I guess much more blonde bombshell to the Yes, world. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean I mean you could you could definitely see Annette Benning being the sort of mousy 
timid secretary who sort of blossoms into the sexually liberated Catwoman. Yes, yes. Um, it was a bit unbelievable to see Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, but Michelle Pfeiffer, who basically just has slightly frizzy hair and is otherwise yeah, and glasses, astonishingly right. good looking. Don't don't forget like, the, glasses. Oh, the glasses, of course, yes. But who otherwise is like astonishingly good looking. Still has a level of sophistication and self-assuredness that she can't really hide. Like like she's she's very obviously a movie star. Yes, that's right. right. So yeah, uh, Annette Bening was going to be uh, Catwoman. Uh, she got pregnant, so they pulled her out and then Michelle Pfeiffer obviously took over and the rest is history. Michelle Pfeiffer was going to be in a Catwoman movie. They were going to do a spin-off movie with Michelle Pfeiffer that through a series of developmental hells did eventually become the infamous uh, Catwoman movie with Halle Berry. Really? That yeah, was there, there was a there was, it was in development hell for years and it was it was going to be Michelle Pfeiffer and there was a couple of there was a couple of major scripts at one point Ashley Judd was attached to be Catwoman. It, oh. it went through this whole process. One of the scripts was apparently it was going to be in like the Gotham City version of Las Vegas, right? So like like the, the, the DC Universe version, I think it's like Desert City or something. Right. Um, where like after after the events of this movie, Catwoman sort of retreats to sort of lick her wounds and um, discovers like this weird underworld of like superhero figures who are like treating women terribly and all this sort of thing. And she has to like suit up and take everyone down, which just sounds insane, like completely insane. Like I, I kind of want to watch that movie. It's yeah, this, exactly. It's a similar sort of energy. It's almost like Showgirls. But with superheroes, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. There's all sorts of weird, weird stuff going on there. Um, but like just through development hell, it eventually sort of crapped out at the end as the uh, basically the retelling of her story in this movie, except with Halle Berry and with all the Batman stuff taken out. Mm. Were they even in Gotham City in the Halle Berry one? I think so. Oh, they might not have been. Maybe they were somewhere else. Oh boy, yeah, <laughs> they could have been. I- I mean, it was great that they left her alive. Like the whole point was that, you know, cats have nine lives. And she well, that, that was the other thing. They, they initially were going to leave that a lot more ambiguous, but that they were never going to have that last shot. And so then her, her character obviously tested well with audiences. And so they're like, okay, well, we'll leave the door open for her to come back. And so the last shot is there. But Michelle Pfeiffer had already moved on to the next project. And so that shot is an animatronic puppet, if you can believe it. Why didn't they um, just get a woman? Apparently they tried and it just sort of didn't work it didn't look enough like what they wanted it didn't look like it didn't look like Michelle Pfeiffer apparently or something like that they couldn't get it to look right and so the level of budget they were working with they built an animatronic Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman for this one shot the the back shot of her head sort of raising up yeah 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 that, that that shot is an animatronic puppet wow Goodness me. When you realize that, you're like, oh, of course. Yeah, it, it like moves all janky and, and it doesn't yeah. move like a human. But yeah. that's what Tim Burton wanted, apparently. The, uh, the, the stunt woman that they put in the costume didn't look right. And I do, it is an interesting choice that they had because, you know, he's like, come live with me in Stately Wayne Manor. And she's like, oh, I'd love to live with you in your castle, Bruce, but I couldn't live with myself. And I guess that was her going, I have to kill Max. Yeah. Uh, or I can't live with myself. But, you know, she probably could have killed him and then just gone and lived with Bruce Wayne. But well, I no, think he wouldn't. Just... No, he wouldn't have let her. Not if he'd cro- not if she'd crossed that line. Oh, I see. Even, even though he, he killed, he kills many, a dude. He gleefully he... kills people. Like that was like hands on kills people. That was in one of my notes. He gets a bomb, like one of those comedy bombs. Yes, yes. And sticks it onto a clown's belt and then pushes yep. him down. A, and a then hole. with a psychotic grin. <laughs> 
kicks him, <laughs> kicks him Leonidas 300 style into yes, the hole. into a hole, and then he blows up. Yep. Like, there is no way that guy's alive. And then walks away with a smile on his face, <laughs> job well done. Uh, at another point, he sets, a, sets a, a clown on fire with the back the exhaust yes. from the Batmobile. Yes, he does, yeah. Um, like, he did, murdering, murdering people um, all over the place. <laughs> and they're like, thanks, Batman, for cleaning up Gotham Plaza after that clown attack. Woo! <laughs> Good to have you here. Thanks um, for all the murders. Yeah. Now, another thing I wanted to bring up, Stu, was some of the technology in this was, to me, like laughably silly. So when when he's in- I know exactly what you're about to say, yes. Do you know exactly what I'm about to say? I, I think I do, yeah. Go, does it go for refer, it. Does it refer to like the radar in the back car or on the back plane or whatever he's driving? I can't remember. Oh, I, I thought you were about to do the uh, programmable batarang. Oh, God, yes. I mean, that, thank you, everyone, for letting him have the few seconds it takes to program the <laughs> yeah. batarang. If everyone could just, wait, 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 wait. I just wait. need to I just need to program this. Hang on. I just need to tap a few random buttons. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> when he's driving and he's he's chasing down the penguin, right, Yes. it flashes on the radar, it flashes up the duck. Yes. You know, like. Yes, it does. You know, like, like a Pac-Man see, game. Like a Pac-Man game. And when it's the penguins, you can see these little outlines of penguins. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I was like, why do you need that? Why don't you just have a shape? Like, <laughs> why does it have to be the duck? It's just like the worst video game. And anyway, that made me fall about laughing. Well, at, at um, one point, I love that when uh, the penguin takes over the control of the Batmobile, he's in his own like coin-operated Batmobile. <laughs> they just made up for the for the occasion. Oh, God. Just ridiculous. Uh, oh, and I did like that Stately Wayne Manor did appear to be the Bates house. <laughs> like there's an exterior shot, obviously, of a model of the Bait, of the Wayne Manor, but it looks like Norman Bates' house from Psycho. Yeah, it's different in this one. It's not as – it's way more heightened. Yeah, and then the other thing that I'll just add finally is in that raunchy, sexy scene with Michelle Pfeiffer and, and um, Danny DeVito, which must have been fun to film, if nothing else. <laughs> I did appreciate that she she's like cleaning herself, but then she ends up with lipstick smudged all over her mouth. Yes. And yeah. I appreciated that they left that in. I was mm. really happy. Like that was a little personal victory for me going, yes. <laughs> Even the freaking banging Catwoman with her phenomenally, how she sewed herself into her own outfit, you know, how she got the fingertips, the claws working, how she got the helmet on, all of that stuff, she still cannot keep lipstick on when you're overexerting yourself. And I, I mm. thank you, Tim Burton. Thank you for not calling for makeup at that point. Thank you for letting, <laughs> thank you for letting Catwoman be just a little bit of a hot mess. Yes, uh, absolutely. But, yeah, there's a, there's a whole bunch more that I kind of thought in my head while watching this movie and I just went, I, I can't. That's what I remembered afterwards. Yes. <laughs> oh, Lordy. It just, it just makes no sense. Like why does Shrek want a power plant when he owns a department store? Yes, exactly. And why does the mayor uh, – so, so the mayor has his baby snatched by one of the penguin's henchmen and then the henchman rescues it except it's not a rescue, it's all a fake thing to ingratiate him with the public and the public of Gotham who've been, you know, calling him a sewer freak are now like, oh, you're our best guy, you should be mayor. Like what, who are these people? Does nobody ever think, wow, this this maybe is a little bit sudden? Um, <laughs> you know what this movie could have done with is uh, the journalist from Knox from the first Batman yeah, absolutely. Could have done with him, asking <laughs> could, some questions. I, I feel like he would have cut through a lot of the bullshit. Yeah. 
Uh, anything else you want to talk about this film, Stu? I'm conscious that I've spoken a lot about personal histories and possibly not <laughs> as much about the movie. It was just bizarre. Um, it was. I thought Michael Goff as Alfred is is also in this. Oh, um, he's charming. I just wanted to mention him because yeah. like he's a through line through all these things, and he's lovely as always. Yeah. The police in this are just like just completely absent. Like there there is no police in Gotham. It's they have gone from thinking Batman is an urban legend to relying solely on Batman to prevent yeah. crime. In Gotham. <laughs> And he lives so far out of the city. And what I loved about that shot we referred to earlier of him standing up from his chair and looking out of the window Mm. is he's he's paused there. He's taking his sweet-ass time to just be like, yes, "Yes, I am needed. Yes. (laughs) It's like, dude, get on with the job. Like, you've got to run, man. Yeah, exactly. Obviously, on the costume, they did upgrades to the costume in this one. So yes. it's not quite as sculpted. It's a bit more tactical looking. And, and apparently it was a lot lighter um, and easier to wear. They made some improvements, although he still can't like turn his head or do anything <laughs> like that, which is hilarious when he's fighting Catwoman, who is in like a, a lycra bodysuit, like a latex bodysuit. Yeah. And has a lot more uh, room to move. And the stunt woman is like flipping around and Batman's just sort of like, ugh, ugh, ugh. <laughs> eat floor. I did like the fact that they beat each other up. They do. I mean, I mean, that, yeah. To be to be fair, that that is they they definitely That's do. Although, although they do the, lean into that moment of how I can't believe you hit me. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm, like, a oh, I'm so sorry. And then she fucking knees him in the nuts. I love that bit. That was great. That moment could have been in the Adam West Batman. Yeah, like, true. So much of this movie is just an episode of Batman sixty six. It really is like just with a black costume instead of like the blue and gray. It really is like it's it's so funny to go back with the reputation this film has. I think as like the good Batman film and be like, oh no, this is this is way campier than you remember. Yeah, <laughs> and also a mess. <laughs> Yeah, too much. There's just too much. There's too much of everything. And it's funny that even in the Christopher Nolan Batman, Catwoman is a side character Mm. to Bane, really. Well, not not to him specifically, but like in the Bane movie, he's the main bad guy and she's, you know, an ancillary. Um, Well, she's almost, I mean, she's almost an afterthought. You you get the sense that they included her in that movie. We'll we'll talk about that when we get there, but there's definitely a sense that he wanted to close out the story he'd been telling with with Talia and everyone. and, And they were like, oh, but we haven't had Catwoman for a while can we have Catwoman in there as well yeah yeah no, it's still oh, here <laughs> sorry no I just I didn't have anything else to say no, no, neither did I. <laughs> so what happens to you with this film when it was released like was it still successful even yeah, no, it was it was successful. It was um, it, it made money, like like so. It, it wasn't a flop, but it wasn't the all conquering juggernaut that Batman eighty nine had been. As a result, as I like I said earlier, Tim Tim Burton was like, yeah, no, I'll come back for the third one. And apparently, the Warner execs were like, that's not necessary. We're that's all good. We'll get someone else to do the next two. <laughs> and what and did so- you? What did Tim Burton go off and do then? Was it sort of Nightmare Before Christmas? Was that around that time? Uh, I think, well, so, so he didn't actually make the Nightmare Before Christmas. That was Henry Selleck, but um, oh. he produced it. Like, like he, he wrote the story and did like a lot of the design work on it. Oh, I see. Um, and so that, that's why it's Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. But it was actually Henry Selleck who directed that movie and did all the stop motion animation on it. Right. Um, Never seen it. Heard it's uh, it's, it's good. It has a, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's a little bit overrated, but- a lot of people, ah. I like it fine. A lot of people love it because they grew up watching it and it, you know, obviously has a, a big nostalgia factor for them. Yeah. It has like a bunch it. of Danny Elfman song. Like Danny Elfman wrote all the songs in it and all that sort of thing. So yeah, it, it's a big touchstone for a lot of people. I think it's fine. I think it's a fun movie, but it also 
is a weird movie as well, and and not because it's deliberately weird, but just because yeah, the, the whole thing it's it's strange. But we're not here to talk about Nightmare <laughs> Before Christmas. I'm just looking up what Burton did afterwards because I know that he did he did Nightmare Before Christmas pretty much straight. Oh, he did Ed Wood, of course. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, um, I you know what, Stu, I've seen Ed Wood. I quite enjoyed it. Have you? Yes, it's a fantastic movie. I would mm. say it's maybe. Oh, is it, would I say that it's maybe my favorite Tim Burton movie? No, that. that can't be right yes maybe it's up there it's a great movie it's different to a lot of the other stuff that he did yeah i haven't seen it for years but i remember really enjoying it because it's yeah it's johnny Johnny depp isn't it yeah it's johnny johnny depp playing ed wood and um yeah johnny depp disappeared from the cultural conversation yeah i can't imagine why well, I, it's funny because I only I saw him on he's on a ads for a perfume now. Yes, I've, I've seen those. I'm like, really? Okay. I think it's Dior or something, and he's in in the TV ads. He's like playing his guitar or something, and I remember just going, "Oh, that's Johnny Depp." <laughs> he was just so ubiquitous. He I, was. I, like, he I would wasn't. not I would not be surprised that had um, Tim Burton gone on to make another Batman film, he would have brought Johnny Depp in as like the Riddler or something. Yeah, probably because he'd worked with him on Edward Scissorhands. Obviously, that's the first time they sort of worked together and then he was like yeah okay then every other film that he does (laughs) lots and lots of other films yeah so the next film you made was uh ed wood and then mars attacks and then after that you could argue mars attacks is a weird movie so weird based on trading cards did you know that no apparently there was a there was a group there was a bunch of trading cards of like Mars Attacks, like it was a trading card line in like the 50s. Oh, I see. With those weird um, alien designs. They, they basically lifted straight from the trading cards. Oh, right. No, they're um, very, um, it's sort of lots of little stories. It's sort of not yeah, super connected. Yeah. Lots of little characters who get, you know, blown up and exterminated pretty quickly. Yeah. And it had his wife in it, his then wife, the one before Helena Bottom Carter. So he obviously has this thing where he marries women and they're in all his movies and then he moves on to the next one. <laughs> she was in she was in Edward. I think she was like Dracula's bride or vampire or something. A very tall, yes, statuesque yeah. woman. And then she was in uh, Mars Attacks as like an alien with the big crazy 60s hair. She yes. sort of glides around. She has this very statuesque kind of otherworldly look. So she suits yep. all those freaky parts. But then he obviously got Jack of her and flipped over to Helena Bonham Carter and the sure, rest why is not? history. <laughs> So yeah, so so no more Tim Burton, and and then we move on to Batman Forever. So this is the end of our Burton uh, mini run, uh, and then uh, we're going <laughs> it's to a, it's a Timothy Dalton esque run. Indeed. Well, uh, well, I mean, his 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 influence on the series arguably looms larger than Dalton. It is impossible to overstate what a huge impact the two Burton Batman movies had on. Mm. Batman, but also like wider culture. Like these really set the template for everything going forward. Like like other Batman movies, other superhero movies, other blockbuster movies. Like they just, it's impossible to overstate like the impact they had. It was huge. Seismic. Oh, for sure. For sure. And then, yeah. Why does Michael Keaton not come back? Or is this something we should discuss next week? <laughs> um, we, could probably, we could probably discuss it next week, but, but I mean, the, the long and the short of it is I think he wanted to work with Burton and if Burton wasn't involved, he didn't want to uh, keep doing it. Ah. I, I think I think he was sick of, you know, being in the suit all the time. Like he didn't want to do a third one, basically. Well, that worked out well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And next week we should discuss why they went with Val Kilmer. Yes, absolutely. The other thing now, we haven't been doing this up until now, but I think we probably have, we've got three films under our belt now, and I think we're in a position where we can do a list. 
A list. A list. I'm, I'm going to have to make a list somewhere and keep it safe. <laughs> Probably, yes, yes. I'll forget. I still haven't updated <laughs> all the Bond ones for ages ago. Oh, my God. I'm so far behind on that now. That's now been almost a year since we finished the Bonds. <laughs> No, no, that's no. It was, it was a. We were still a few months off. Yeah, yeah. You got a few that. months, few months time. I've, I've still got to do the Daniel Craig <laughs> recaps, which I oh, never boy. did. Anyway, that's fine. One day. Um, but long time, long time listeners will know that we ranked all of the Bond films as we went. We did um, because I think it's fascinating. I think it's fascinating to take film series and watch them in real time, see the conversation that they have with each other. Like every film follows on from the last one. And to put them in context and then see where they sort of fall on our own personal lists. Um, and the thing is, too, why this is really hard for me is because I still have this, as I'll circle back to what I said at the beginning, I still have this innate feeling that this is a good Batman movie and it's my <laughs> favourite because of Michelle Pfeiffer. Well, look, I mean, the thing is but like... it's a freaking terrible it's movie. It's just, just awful. Like <laughs> It's out there and bananas and I... I don't know. I mean, it's as campy as the. Huh, I didn't want to rank Batman eighty nine first, but I think I have to, and then put. I don't know. Do I put this one before or after Adam West? Well, th- this is the thing. So, so uh, to make it easier for you, I can tell you where my where I'm at. So, so yeah. basically, I put Batman eighty nine at the top purely because that movie in particular is just culturally the gravity of it is so intense like you can't not put it at number one so far i don't think it's going to be my top pick forever but i have to put it at number one currently i then put batman 66 but just below that because i I love that movie i think it's it knows what it wants to be in a way that the two burton batman films don't really it knows itself it's it's internally consistent it's just fun it's it's way more fun than people give it credit for and adam west is a great batman i love him he's great he's great as that version of batman and so then naturally this this one uh, batman returns falls to my number three spot because it is a mess yeah i mean if i was going to do anything i'd switch two and three around because michelle pfeiffer it's so hard to to evaluate because batman 66 is so different in how the batman is it is but that's what makes it fun like you know like what version do you prefer like does this one does that does that give it take points off like so the thing is, and this is when you realise you're getting crazy, like we're looking back at Batman Returns now is the same distance, give or take a year or two, from Batman Returns looking back at Batman 66. Sure, absolutely. You know, it, probably 25 years then to, to now. So, yeah. And the change in that time. I looked back at 66 with a great deal of like, oh, this is hilarious. What are they doing? This is nonsense. This is so over the top, you know, turning people into bits of sand and then somehow able to rehydrate them. like <laughs> what are you doing but then batman returns looking back at it and going they were insane so yeah look i'm gonna rank the same as you but right, I, reserve, okay. I reserve the right to change my mind <laughs> sure okay i, I mean for, for me i i nearly put batman 66 at number one spot oh wow um like it was touch and go the only thing that puts batman 89 in number one for me is that it is so culturally huge that's right. And I think Jack Nicholson's performance as the Joker yeah, is sort of so elevates the whole thing and, yeah, iconic and, exactly. you know, really dominates what happens every other Joker. So, all right. Well, look, we're in the same boat at this point. We're in the same bat boat at this point. <laughs> 
which we got in this one. Uh, we didn't even t- we didn't even talk about the Batmobiles. Yeah, well, they still had the animation on the Bat Wheels. When it yeah, was yeah. Like- well, they they had the they had the the same design. That that's the last time that's going to happen, where they have the same design. Although it does turn into a a weird Bat missile at one stage. It turned into a drag, like a drag car. Yeah, yeah, to get through small spaces. Which I mean, like, feels very specific to that one scenario, if you ask <laughs> me. But anyway. <laughs> Exactly. It's like James Bond having the exact gadget that yeah, he needs exactly. for the exact problem. Yeah. <laughs> Alfred obviously did field work with Q back in the day. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, they, they, they cut from the. They, Alfred and Q are cut from the same cloth, like both narratively and, and probably personally. Haven't they done a series now where Alfred is like a super cool, like his prequel series where he's like a spy or something? Yes, crap? yes, they like, have. Yeah, yeah. Pennyworth, it's called. Yeah, because that's a name that conjures terror. Sure. <laughs> Sorry. Who plays him? I honestly don't know. I have not paid attention to that side of the Batverse. Oh, okay. <laughs> It'd be some sort of Jude Law character or something. Sure, yeah, someone, exactly. Someone of that ilk, like like they did with the Sherlock Holmes ones, where it's like, oh, no, they can't have Dr. Watson being kind of a bit fat now. He's got to be super cool and yeah, exactly. a ninja. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there's so much more I feel we haven't talked about in this film. We, we could talk for three hours, Natalie, honestly. I like, know. There's so much stuff in here. Like, uh, you know, the fact that like the, the running gag of the the little dog that always foils Batman in several scenes, like just stuff like that. There's there, there's stuff threaded all through this movie that's just bananas. Yeah. It's so messed up. Well, listeners, if you have an opinion on Batman Returns or any notable moments that we haven't covered or you have an opinion on, please call in. Uh, you can contact us on twitter i'm at girl clumsy stew is at disco stew uh, or you can find us on facebook which is uh, facebook.com slash natalie's throne and you can join my patreon patreon.com slash girl clumsy thank you so much to my patreon members you are beautiful princes and princesses among dung heaps thank you so much for your support over over this time making these podcasts and other things i am in the middle of a show I should point out my show Titanic the movie the play is running at the Brisbane Powerhouse and if you would like to come and see it um, you can check out brisbanepowerhouse.org and find details there it's a great time it's a good night out it's funny it's will take your mind off everything for 70 minutes I can guarantee that (laughs) and hopefully hopefully you have also we've taken your mind off everything with this uh, deconstruction of Batman Returns And so, Stu, thank you for your time. And as we always like to say, same that time, same that channel. channel. We'll see you next time for Batman Forever. See you then. Bye.